the great spiritual teacher Lily Tomlin (laughs) is quoted as saying, we're all in this alone. (laughs) Another version found on the Internet attributed to Tomlin, we're all in this together by ourselves. Though I haven't verified the source, I think it's quite possible this improvisational comedian said it both ways, and both versions strike at a paradoxical truth. I increasingly find that most truths are paradoxical. These words speak to what I see as a fundamental experience of being human. We are connected, and we are, each of us, Alone. We are connected and we are alone. We're all in this alone. We're all in this together by ourselves. Part of nurturing spiritual growth, I have come to believe, is grounding ourselves in this paradoxical truth. Part of creating the welcome that we crave will come from acknowledging this paradoxical truth. We would be one, yes. And yet I am called to find that light that is mine so I can let it shine. Come and go with me to that land, yes. And you got to walk that lonesome valley. You got to walk it by yourself. Nobody else can walk it for you. You got to walk it by yourself. Sophia Lyon Foz addresses this in a reading from our gray hymnal, Singing the Living Tradition. We gather in reverence before the wonder of life, the wonder of this moment, the wonder of being together, so close yet so apart, each hidden in our own secret chamber, each listening, each trying to speak, yet none fully understanding. None fully understood. Did you catch that? That's in the welcome section of our hymnal. The wonder of being together, so close yet so apart, each hidden in our own secret chamber, each listening, each trying to speak, yet none fully understanding, none fully understood. That's pretty strong Stuff. I find it to be courageous in unabashedly addressing that paradoxical truth we are talking about. We are all in this alone. We are all in this together by ourselves. Sophia Lyon Foz is most especially honored for her work in revolutionizing religious education for children and youth in Unitarian Universalism. It strikes me that rather than theological constructs, she was much more focused on experience, how life feels, and the clear and honest expression of that. And sometimes that can be hard to hear, especially when we are pointedly trying to be inspirational. But you can't fool children and youth. You have to talk straight. We can all too easily gloss over those feelings of separation in our rush to affirm our togetherness. We are all connected. That is so. 
But part of the brilliance of this congregation's mission to deepen connections is the recognition that, yes, those connections already exist. We are all connected. But these connections can feel like nothing more than philosophical abstractions. Those connections can feel like nothing more than theoretical possibilities. Our mission challenges us to deepen those existing connections, bring them to light, move them from the realm of intellectual abstraction to lived experience, imbue them with the life-giving, life-saving power of community. Life-saving. Because it makes sense to me, accepting that we are indeed together, alone, so close, yet so apart, according to Foz, it makes sense to me that we would each feel sometimes most intensely the longing in belonging, that we would feel loneliness as a wave washing over us. But what is being experienced in our society, our country, and across the world today seems less like the occasional wave of loneliness washing over us and more like a relentless tsunami sweeping away everything we have built and pulling us helplessly under. Surgeon General. Vivek H. Murthy, in an April 30th, 2023 guest essay in the New York Times, names loneliness as a top public health priority for our nation, describing it as an epidemic of loneliness and isolation affecting a majority of Americans with grave consequences for our mental health, physical health, and collective well-being. Nicholas Kristof followed up with a column on September 6th of this year, beginning with this line, loneliness crushes the soul, but researchers are finding it does far more damage than that. It is linked to strokes, heart disease, dementia, inflammation, and suicide. It breaks the heart literally as well as figuratively. Just so when I talk about the life-saving power of community, I am speaking literally as well as figuratively. Loneliness, it seems, has become less of a feeling that flows through us and more of a condition resulting from social disconnection, personal isolation, and a lack of cultural investment in community building. It is not isolated to a particular group or groups of people, but includes introverts and extroverts, rich and poor, young and old, across the spectrum. The title given to Murthy's column is, We Have Become a Lonely Nation. It's time to fix that. And the title of Christoph's column, We Know the Cure for Loneliness, So Why Do We Suffer? And while neither mentioned congregations directly as part of the solution, 
Murthy talks about the work to address this loneliness epidemic, taking schools, workplaces, community organizations, government, health workers, public health professionals, individuals, families, and more working together. Though congregations are not mentioned, I sincerely believe that our mission calls us into the very center of this work. And my only hesitation about these two brilliant columns is the language around loneliness as an illness to be cured or a problem to be fixed. Though these authors are clear on the type of intentional, steady, grassroots, compassionate, locally-based, person-to-person work that is needed, let's face it, (laughs) societally, we do not have a very good track record on curing and fixing those things we have identified as problems. Imagine if we were to have a war on loneliness the same way we have had a war on poverty, a war on drugs, a war on terror. I shudder to think. Further, identifying loneliness as a problem does nothing to lessen the stigma for those experiencing it. As widespread as it is, it still feels risky to admit that I am lonely because of the fear that others will wonder what is wrong with me that I do not have friends or immediately move to fixing my issue with helpful suggestions further setting me apart. In this, too, our congregation seems poised for the work as we are encouraged by our covenant to listen deeply and speak truthfully. One of the things I heard in What Makes a Welcome is listening. Our mission calls us to deepen connections, not by fixing problems, but by nurturing spiritual growth. Practicing justice, inspiring joy. Ideally, we don't opt for easy answers and quick fixes, but are willing to walk with one another as we encounter the complexities, often the paradoxes of existence. And what shines through the words of these articles is the simple fact that humans crave connection. I feeling, yes, that I am alone and also that I am inextricably connected to others. I crave relationship, opportunities to be of use, as we talked about last week, a recognition of myself as a person, people knowing my name. Where does that happen? How does that happen? It all begins with how we welcome one another, doesn't it? And I have to admit, when I saw the Soul Matters themes for this year and the September one being welcome, I thought to myself, really, a whole month on welcome? (laughs) I am sorry. That is embarrassing to admit. As your minister, I should know better. Shame on me. 
the welcome we give to one another, everyone, from those attending for the first time to those who have attended faithfully over many years to those who attend when they can, everyone, everyone, the welcome we provide is central to deepening connections. It is central to who we are and what we do. When I talk about raising our connections to one another into the light, making them real enough to feel, imbuing them with the life-giving, life-saving power of community, it all starts with the welcome. A beloved longtime member, now former member, as she moved away from this area some years ago, Ruth Reeser reminded me of this in an email she sent me this week. She kindly gave me permission to share her words. Hi, Reverend Rod. The title of your message, The Welcome We Crave, makes me think of an event many years ago. I had graduated from Ohio State University and came back to Toledo, Ohio, to teach instrumental music at seven schools. I went back to my old church where I was a soprano soloist before college. I saw the minister and he said, oh, you're back. (laughs) The following week, I went to the Toledo Unitarian Church with my parents. They had changed to this church in my absence. I saw the choir director who had been our band director in high school. He saw me and said, Ruth, Please come and sing with us. We'd love to have you. The gist of the story, she writes, where do you think I felt welcome? (laughs) This was my beginning at the Unitarian Church in 1949. I hope we continue to welcome everyone and anyone. And she signs off as she always does, love in you, you, and music, Ruth, which goes back to the anthem that you played, Why We Sing. I love that. A beautiful story. It brings me back to basics. And it scares me. Because I know I have been that first minister all too often. Looking, but not seeing. Clicking off a face, a name in my head. Distracted, not fully present to this person before me. It scares me a bit when we, with all the good intentions in the world, are connecting about congregational matters and scheduling and preparation on a Sunday morning and missing the opportunity to be present to the people walking in the door. The gist of the story, writes Ruth, where do you think I felt welcome? Did that matter in Ruth's life? She has now been a dedicated Unitarian Universalist, first Unitarian and then Unitarian Universalist for 74 years. And she sees clearly the power of providing the welcome we all crave. And that is what calls to me from this story. I hope to more often be that second minister. 
letting go as best I can of any business that would distract me from this moment, being fully aware of the person before me, extending a gracious invitation into the life of the community. Because listen, we can get a little shy about, I can, I can get a little shy about inviting you into the work of this community. I know that people are pulled in many different directions, but one of the primary pieces pointed out in the two articles I mentioned about overcoming this epidemic of loneliness is in providing people an opportunity to be of use, to do things that matter. And as I said last Sunday, we can provide that. We can provide you work that is real. And it starts with that coffee that we weren't sure we had after the service. We would love to have you volunteer to help provide that each week and to connect with the other people who do. And what I'm really saying with that invitation is that we are better with you. We are better with you and with all that you choose to bring to the life of this community. Your time, talents, energy, wisdom, financial resources, yes, all of that, and with your very presence here and online. You increase our ability to deepen connections. You increase our reach in extending the welcome we all crave. We are better because you are here. Be with me now. Don't try and talk me out of my loneliness with perfect theology. Stay beside me and carry my hope until I am ready to hold it again and be there for you. Then... Our heart is in a holy place.